This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 97th edition of Sports Untold on Rainier Avenue Radio. I have a very special guest today, present on me with Zoom, Brian Acker. Brian is a former Seattle Sports Radio AM 950 uh, host commentator. He's also been a play-by-play commentator. I learned that Brian did not start in sports media until his 30s. So it's, uh, I think Brian has some interesting perspectives on the whole industry. Uh, Brian is, I believe, working at the Zillow Group now. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. That's right, Paul. And, and uh, great to be here with you. I, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's always flattering when somebody remembers you uh, after your, your broadcasting career has kind of come to an end. So, well, you're, but Brian, you're still out there commenting and opining on sports. You're, I still think of you very much as a sports pundit. And uh, I appreciate you coming on the 97th edition of Sports Untold. Uh, I think we've met a couple of times. We've definitely interacted on sports media, or I'm oh, sorry, yeah. social media. And right. I remember when I was going on KGR years ago, commenting on the Sonics relocation legalities, we chatted a couple of times and we were a gentleman. So, uh, Bill V. High, WSU grad. We're both uh, Seattle area Generation X guys. I, I know we know hundreds of the same people probably, but yeah. uh, good. we'll have fun. Get into some sports issues, maybe talk about the broadcasting industry and just uh, we'll have some fun. Uh, Brian, this is obviously a very significant day, 9-11, 20 years after uh, the horrific events that affected our country so much. Brian, why don't you just share a little bit about what you were doing on 9-11 and maybe... <clears throat> Maybe give us, when you think of the sports world 9-11, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of the sports world, I obviously think about New York. And I think about the games that were played following nine, immediately following 9-11. And the Mets-Braves, um, I believe, was... One of the games that was played, it was significant because everybody was able to come together. People were coming together to to kind of console each other, but to be a part of something that was positive. Um, you know, I don't I don't think in my lifetime I've seen our country come together like we did after 9-11. And, right. you know, right. the way the par- politics have been over the last four or five years, maybe even longer than that, you know, our country's, excuse me, vastly divided. And um, thinking back to 9-11, it was a horrific event and thousands of people lost their lives, family members, mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. But when I look back at it, I look back at it as a time of unity for this country. So, you know, trying to glean some positive memories from that time. Now, I was working, I was a greenskeeper at Sahali Golf and Country Club, and I actually had the day off. Um, And I woke up, and I turned on the TV, and the first thing I saw was the first plane hit the first tower. And I, I didn't even realize what I was seeing. And then as soon as I did, I called my parents, you know, because that was a moment that I, you know, I'm an only child. I, my parents were everything to me, and I wanted to make sure that they were aware so we could watch it together. Sure. Um, and then what I remember the following day, Paul, was the skies were empty. There wasn't. There was no flights. There were no planes. There were no helicopters. There was nothing in the sky, and it was a very eerie, surreal moment to think about what was going to happen next. Was this a terrorist attack? Would it happen again? Were there other things that were on the way? I mean, we were all in that um, state of, of uh, wondering what was going to happen next while we were trying to f- focus on what was going on in New York and all the people that were lost and right. you know, people trying to save people in the rubble. So that's, that's what my memory of that day was what what about you where were you yeah you know brian my birthday is on september 10th and so i remember waking up the next morning i was living in madison park at the time running a condominium or running an apartment and my sister called me to tell me that the towers were down the pentagon's been attacked and it was just absolutely surreal so that was my first initial memory i was sleeping a a little later that day and i i was um yeah, so I was living in Madison Park. I would take the bus to 
uh, downtown. I just started my solo law firm then. So I remember that vividly, you know, just having a regular family birthday party event. I think we went to somewhere in Madison Park and uh, the next morning, my sister called me and let me know what was going on. So, um, you know, a sports memory I have, Brian, is on is after 11 during that Diamondbacks Yankees series when President Bush threw out the first pitch and not to get into politics, but no matter what one thinks of W, I thought he threw a perfect <clears throat> first pitch and and yep, uh, there yep. was something kind of united, no matter what your politics are, or what you thought of, you know, President Bush. But it were, there was something I thought kind of compelling about that Diamondbacks uh, Yankees series that year. A- absolutely. And, you know, I think that was a period and time, a very rare one in our history where whatever side of the fence you're on when it comes to politics, um, you just wanted whoever was in charge to step up and lead this country in the right direction. Now, in retrospect, a lot of us thought that George Bush did that. Then there's a lot that thought, well, I believe in conspiracy theories. So I think that he was part of the group that instigated it. So it all gets muddled here and now, but back then, I think we were all together on the same page, at least most of the country. Yeah, and I, I we'll 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 kind of we'll go beyond this general subject in, in a second. But one more thought I want to throw in: I think W did a really good job in those first few months after 9/11. But by early 02, I think things were getting more politicized again. That's my recollection of it. I think in the in the immediate months there there was unification, but by I don't know. That's my two cents on it. It seemed like by early mid 02, we were kind of back to some more fighting and stuff, but. I think yeah. you're right. I think you're right. But that, but the immediate day and the days following, um, you know, uh, everybody wanted the same thing. They wanted safety. They wanted security. They wanted the people that were uh, that have done it to get what they had coming. They wanted um, to find life in the rubble of the right. twin towers. You know, that's that's what we all wanted. And our leader was leading us down that path to to make sure that all that happened oh i thought so his approval ratings were like in the high 80s for a for a while yeah yeah paul schneiderman host of sports untold on rainier avenue radio on the 97th edition with former kjr host brian apker hey brian i got a, a big question for you um are you gonna pay 49 dollars and 50 cents to watch uh Donald Trump uh, be part of the altern- alternate telecast of the uh, Hall of Field Bill Fort fight tonight. Are you gonna Are you gonna be one of those guys that pays <laughs> almost fifty bucks for that? I, I am not, and okay. and that that doesn't have anything to do with Trump or anything else. It's just that uh, you know, I hey, if Hall Field wants to come back and fight, that's great. You know, Mike Tyson's been doing um, or, or did a charity bout three rounds with Roy Jones Jr. In fact, yeah. one of my great friends from college, Paul Schloss, is business partners with Mike Tyson wow. and several other celebrities in a um, cannabis company. Mm-hmm. So I was getting video of Mike Tyson training well before anybody even knew that he was going to be doing this. And then I kind of put on Twitter, hey, Mike Tyson's going to come back. He wants to fight Holyfield, but Holyfield has too much to lose. And so he wants too much money. So that's not going to happen. And then Roy Jones Jr. stepped up and, you know, I got some really good behind the scenes intel about, about Mike Tyson. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what, what Holyfield does. And then if Tyson and Holyfield get together on a, on another fight. Um, what do you, what do you think of a former president on nine 11 being part of a boxing broadcasting team on nine 11? What's, what's your take on Trump participating in this? I, you know what? I really don't have a thought either way. It doesn't, doesn't strike me as odd. It doesn't strike me as cool. It doesn't, it doesn't phase me in today's day and age, you know, what, politicians and celebrities do is basically anything they want right you know and they're they're doing them they're being themselves and that's fine you know live and let live so i i really don't have uh any thoughts on that what about you do you have a, a particular well, feeling let him do it i mean trunk hat trump has his you know kind of tacky style to begin with so so let him do it if he wants to do it i just don't know about doing it on 9 11 that's my two cents is 
on it. But yeah, you know, you'd think a former president would be maybe a little more solemn on 9-11, but people, you know, could see it differently, I guess. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. All right. To each his own. All right. There you go. Uh, hey, you mentioned Mike Tyson. And this is a question I asked a lot of guests. And I'm um uh, but I, I I it's one of my favorite questions. I get great guests. So some of uh, one person personality answered Mike Tyson. I've had people uh one guest answer Kareem Abdul Jabbar, I've had it see or Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Joe Montana, Floyd Merriweather, Russ Wilson, Nick Saban, LeBron James, Serena Williams, Sandy Koufax, Bill Russell, who's a living sports figure you'd love to chat with or interview. A living sports figure yeah gotta be living huh well my next question is who's a deceased sports figure okay so so living um somebody different because you know like Mm -hmm. a lot of the guests that you've had on that worked in sports radio i've had an unbelievable opportunity to interview just about anybody and everybody from 1999 to 2015. If they right. were playing baseball, football, basketball, um, college or pro right. and came to Seattle, I got a chance to talk to them. And my, my resume is not even as distinguished or half as distinguished as, as some of the guests that you've had on. So I can't imagine well, um, what they said. Short, Brian. You got a good resume, so don't. Yeah, it, it's it's good. But, you know, I, I look at guys like Gas and Graz. Those guys are legends in this city. Those guys have done more broadcasting um, and had more experiences than I could even think of. And, and I truly admire those guys and, and was fortunate enough to spend a little bit of time working with them. Um, I would say probably not Michael Jordan. It might have been Michael Jordan before the last dance, but I think I got all I needed to get out of out of michael in the last dance and when he came with the wizards um you know he did the big media um press conference and and guard swanson asked most of the questions but i was able to slide one in there so that satisfies that you know who it would be it would be somebody unique simone biles that's a great answer simone biles um you know i love that answer i'm gonna add it to my list so I forgot to mention too, and I like what you said about wanting to chat with somebody who's unique. Here's two names that two different guests gave me that I think you'll find fascinating. Um, I had Rick Turner on, who you may know, uh, lo- local coach, and he was on KJR at one time. Rick answered Oscar Pistorius, the mm. South African runner who had some legal problems he thinks it'd be fascinating to talk to Pistorius. so i thought that answer was unique and out of the box that, that um, absolutely is Did, didn't he kill his wife i think he was convicted of something like yeah yeah it's like that yeah and the other, I mean, here's another name i got real quickly we go back to simone biles in a second the other name i got is from former husky mark patterson former nfl player i don't know if you know mark just climbed out mount everest and I Mark, didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Him. Mark's Mark's done the seven summits. He's on my show a couple of times. The Roseville High School guys. We have that tie, a little older than me, but we have the Northeast Seattle Roosevelt UW ties there. And Mark answered this the deceased sports figure he'd love to interview. Remember, Jimmy Connors was his answer for the living sports figure. For the deceased sports figure, I don't have this guy's name in front of me, but a guy like the first one of the first guys to clown Mount Everest in like the late 40s, early 50s, a British guy, Sir Williams. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I don't yes, have his name yes. in front of me. I feel bad. But but I like your answer with Simone Biles because you gave a little bit of an out of the box answer that maybe the average, you know, male sports fan wouldn't give, you know. So, yeah. And for me personally, I've never had an opportunity to sit down with a gold medalist and mm-hmm. have a, a, a good conversation. And she's so unique. She's adopted. Um, she's arguably the greatest gymnast that ever lived. I mean, you have Nadia Comaneci when I was a kid. Right. Um, she was phenomenal. Um, Olga Corbett and then all the other U.S. Olympic gymnasts have come up through the ranks. But Simone Biles is something different and unique. And I think she would be a great conversation to have, especially after this Olympics where she was tested a little bit and the golden child started to see people turn on her for some of the decisions that she made. I I certainly didn't agree with um, those people, but I I would be really curious to get her in-depth thoughts on, on how that made her feel and all that stuff. Oh, no doubt about it. Great answer. 
And who would be the deceased sports figure you'd love to interview? Uh, here's a couple of names I got. Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, Dean Smith. I had the, the famous attorney on Alan Dershowitz who was, was actually involved in the famous Kurt Flood case. Dershowitz answered he'd love to interview some of the deceased former Negro baseball players, which I thought was oh, a great answer. Oh, yeah. So who, really who's great. Who's a deceased sports figure in history that you would have loved to have chatted with? Um, well, first of all, Alan Dershowitz. Wow, what a big name, man. What a, what a great guest that is. And, he was interesting. I, I like that answer because that would really be awesome from the historical side to get with their perspective on what they were going through. That would be interesting. But mine, like Josh Gibson, you know. Oh yeah, and and yeah. cool Papa Bell and right, and right. you know all, all those names. But for me, my other than my parents, my only real childhood. He, well, I, I guess I have a couple, but my childhood hero that wasn't from Seattle was Walter Payton sweetness um arguably the best running back in the history of the nfl might not be the best runner barry sanders might have that but i will go to my grave and fight and pound on the table and say walter payton's the best running back in the history of the game um and i never got a chance to you know he was long gone by the time i got into sports radio i got to see him play against the seahawks one time in the kingdom and i was actually in seats by the visitor tunnel and somehow he snuck by and I never even got to see him close up. And it was such a disappointment because I am the biggest Walter Payton fan. Love it. You know who just answered Walt Payton, Walter Payton, my immediate prior guest to Brian Apker, Dave Craig knew Walter oh. Payton. And he said that he would have loved to have an interview or extended conversation with Walter Payton. Although he already knew him. That was the answer Dave Craig gave. That's so fantastic. it's fun that a couple weeks later, Apker and Craig, give the same answer on Walter Payton. So that, that's, a, that's fun. That's fun. That is fun. And hey, Dave Craig, there's a conversation of itself. That guy, that guy seriously is like, and you and I have had the Marshawn Lynch conversation. I swear Dave Craig's kind of on, to me on that same line of like, God, he could be a Hall of Famer. He's got so many great statistics and things going for him. He was never the dominant quarterback of an era though, which is kind of a problem, but Dave Craig was a lot better than I think people remember him being. He was a really good quarterback. He's a heck of a nice guy. And I asked him a little bit on the hall of fame, the whole hall of fame question. He gave a very humble answer, Brian. He said, well, I didn't quite get to 40,000 yards, a couple strike short years, other couple of years. It didn't go as well, but the fact that I'm in the conversation, I'm so honored to be considered. So he gave a real classy answer on the whole, on his whole hall of fame. Okay. You brought up the Marshawn hall of fame thing. And you and I had a little social media exchange on that. And I, and I want to, I want to pick your brain on, on that, Brian, but kind of a different kind of way. So, sure. um, you uh, and, and and we're all good, but you kind of challenged me because I suggested Lynch had a Hall of Fame case. And you kind of challenged me, Paul. You know, I want you to read up more and maybe talk to some sports writers. You kind of said, Paul, I just don't know if the foundation of your thinking on Marshawn being the Hall of Fame is all there. I, I don't want to mischaracterize what you comment on social media, but but all right, fair enough. You, you, you brought up some points, but here's my kind of question for you, Brian. How knowledgeable? does a sports fan have to be in having an opinion on the hall of fame or, or almost any kind of sports topic? I mean, does one have to have a PhD in political science to have an opinion on a, an election issue? I mean, no, seriously, does a Seahawks fan need to follow the team daily to have an opinion on a coach Carroll decision? That's my question for you. How knowledgeable should a fan be to having an opinion on all these different topics, sport, including the hall of fame? That, that's kind of where I wanted to go on this. On, on this but go ahead sure. give me your take give me a take well and, and that's a that's a good question paul as far as how much knowledge someone needs to have to have an opinion i mean you can have zero knowledge and have an opinion but how well is that opinion going to fare in a conversation with somebody else and you have to be prepared to defend your opinion and your statement and if you don't have enough knowledge to do that then really what does that opinion mean it's just something to make you uh, feel good about your thoughts, which is fine. Everybody's entitled to their opinion, but what? But be prepared to be challenged on it. Now, I wasn't trying to insinuate that you weren't educated about the subject. Well, I'm not just, as much as some others. I don't claim to be as much as some others. No, so, but so. You, you have enough knowledge to have the conversation. What I was pointing out was I think in having conversations with 
people that actually vote on players for the Hall of Fame, which, I, you know, not everybody has access to have that conversation. I understand. So I wouldn't expect you or anybody else to have that inside knowledge. I just have been able to get a different perspective on what things to look at when you're debating whether a guy should be in the Hall of Fame or not. Now, Marshawn Lynch, he's one of my top five favorite running backs of all time. He's probably three, depends on what day it is, but he's always in the top five. Here's what he has going for him. He's in the 10,000-yard club. That's that's a big number, 10,000 rushing yards. He has arguably the two greatest runs in the history of the NFL that we have on tape, the Beastquake run and the run in Arizona. Those runs are unbelievable. And even Walter Payton probably doesn't have quite the Beastquake run on his resume. Barry Sanders might have something similar in a different style, but not the way Beast Mode broke those tackles and got to the end zone and scored the touchdown on both occasions. He has two Super Bowl appearances and one Super Bowl victory. Those get tacked on to the resume, but he was never an MVP. He was never the dominant running back for an, a period of time, for a season, certainly not for an era. Probably an all-decade team guy, though, in the 2010s, though, right? 20, the teens decade? Yeah, I, yes, I, yes, I, I think so. And I'd have to go back and look at the, the sure. list of the running backs because, um, you know, you've got a few big splashes in there that maybe didn't have super long careers but had 2,000 yard rushing seasons and you know um things like that and then Adrian Peterson certainly is in that you know committee um but yeah I I would say so I I love Marshawn I just don't think that his his resume speaks hall of fame even if his rushing yards are close to Earl Campbell's and if Campbell's in the hall of fame Earl Campbell was put up those rushing yards on fewer games uh, in a season. In the 70s, they didn't have that 16-game schedule. So uh, now we could go back and look, hey, how many games did Marshawn actually play? How many carries to get to those yards? And, and maybe sure. they're close. But I, if we brought up the list of all-time leading rushers, you're going to see that there are guys with more yards and more touchdowns than Marshawn Lynch that aren't in the Hall of Fame and really haven't been in much of the discussion for the hall of fame no i, I think there you make a point that he's a close call and i had a guy on you know pretty well you you worked with him a guy named dave softy Mahler. softy thinks marshawn's gonna get it one day so that's uh so after and softy can split on that hey listen now the other yeah. conversation would i would i like to see marshawn in the hall of fame absolutely yeah. can you imagine that hall of fame speech it's going right. to be one of the greatest speeches in the history of the hall of fame right he's uh, for that alone he's he's a great character you know why because he's always himself he doesn't care if if you don't like him if he offends you he's not a fake person he is himself all the time and i love it let me go back though to, to the, kind of the original question all right i know some people that are blue collar people they don't have masters in political science veterinarians, whatever, they can have a more interesting political opinion than maybe a, a PhD in political science has. I know that's different than maybe commenting on a, on a sports subject. Um, but I you know I was just kind of, I thought about our, our online discussion. I was just kind of wondering, you know, um, you know, how deep does someone have to be to be able to uh, render an opinion on all sorts of stuff. That's a, that's a, that's we can extend that even further, you know. So, um, yeah, you know. I think, and I think there's a difference between an opinion and a back and forth conversation, right? So, yes, somebody who doesn't know anything about politics could have a very interesting opinion, but when it comes down to it, is it is it valid? Is it um, real does it equate to the real world is it feasible um or is it just unique and interesting which is cool but if you're gonna have a back and forth about it you know is it actually a real conversation worth having that particular we're gonna move on in a second but you would agree that one doesn't have to be an nfl 
writer who votes on the Hall of Fame to have a valid perspective on a Hall of Fame discussion. No, no, okay. no, absolutely not. No, okay. you don't you don't need to do anything. Here's what I'll say. Yeah. You just have to have watched the sport, read about the sport, been involved in the sport. You can't just watch like in my this is my opinion now. To have a good opinion on something, you have to have some involvement in it somehow. And as a fan, that means watching and reading about and listening to the experts and then using your own eyes to uh, validate what you see versus what somebody said. You have to have that minimum baseline, I believe. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I just I, I wanted to have a little back and forth on this. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, fun discussion. Paul Schneier, I'm a host of Sports Untold, the 97th edition with uh, Brian after. All right, Brian. So I still get Sports Illustrated. It's down to once a month now, by the way. I bet. Oh, we, is it? Wow. Boy, I think when we were growing up similar eras, I read it religiously every week. Yeah. Um, so I got this from SI. Let me make sure I, I sort of attribute the source properly here. So let me read this to you. And I want to get your opinion on this. So this just blew me away as a football fan. In the 2020 season, due to the pandemic, stadiums across NFL, as we know, either had no fans or limited capacity. And the result was unprecedented. Did you know, Brian, that road teams had a winning record of 128, 127, and 1 for the first time in history? And road teams won 6-6 in the playoffs. Um, as we know, the Hawks lost that, that, that home game when we lost to L.A. So Tampa Bay goes 6-2 on the road, and they go 3-0 and in away playoff game. So here's my, my questions for you, Mr. Apker. Um, do you see a big asterisk or some kind of asterisk on the 2020 NFL season based on this lack of a true home field advantage? No. No, I, I don't. I, I, only thing I would give an asterisk for is something on the field, something having to do with the players and the coaches. Anything having to do with the venue or the fans I don't uh, I don't give credence to that is such a significant factor that somebody should have an asterisk next to their title or their win or their loss. Um, I think when New Orleans went through Katrina and and I'm not positive about this, but I believe I remember New Orleans having to go and play games on the road until the dome was was fixed up but i'm not sure but right. there's been other circumstances where teams have not been able to play home they've had to go on the road based on an external factor um so i don't i no i don't think that there should be any asterisks well, well, why maybe, do, you, do you do you do you just hate tom brady or what well <laughs> brady's a couple guy no no brady, brady's a couple guy. i thought brady was kind of fun at the white house this year actually but um let, let me here, here's my thinking on this uh, Brian, I, I agree with you, but I think you can distinguish between a literal asterisk and a figurative asterisk. I see a little bit of a figurative asterisk with this complete lack of home field advantage. I mean, road teams went 128-127-1 last year. I don't know. I, I see some kind of um, figurative asterisk. Do it. Yeah, and, and you know, maybe the travel was easier. Um, because other people weren't traveling. Yeah. Maybe because teams didn't have um, mini camps and all these hard practices and OTAs. Um, they weren't as weary when they went on the road. I mean, I, I don't know, but those could be a couple of different reasons. But yeah, th there's no doubt. Well, now we'll see this year. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll take those records and then we'll see. Now, do I believe that the Seahawks would have beat the Rams had they had the 12th man in the building? I lean towards it. I do. They weren't on that game, but they might've gotten some juice and some inspiration because those fans can, they can do some things. We'll never know. Uh, back to sports illustrated for a second that sports illustrated pundits predict the Hawks going nine and eight this year and just missing the wild card. What's your, what's the Apker crystal ball say on the 2021 Hawks? Okay. So here, so in the last seven, seven years, I've, been able to accurately predict the Seahawks record the thing that I you know I did get wrong last year is I thought they were going to win two playoff games and they didn't um but they were gassed and Russ wasn't uh 
himself and, and the whole thing. So I, I firmly believe that this is a better football team. And we'll see. This is without really seeing anything. But on paper, this is a better football team than the one that won the division last year. Now, the Rams will probably be improved. The 49ers had some serious injury bugaboos last year, and if they don't have that, they're going to be tough. The Cardinals are working their way up, so there's no question this is the toughest division. But to me, this is a 12-13 to 13 win team that's going to be fighting to win the division. That's, I like that's your, I like your confidence in the, in the Hawks this year. Um, I like it. I like it. Um, yeah. Um, Apker has them going a lot better than nine and eight. It's a 17 game season this year, which, which a lot of people haven't quite uh, realized. Um, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. We, you and I will communicate again, maybe end of the season and see, see uh, how your, if your prediction comes to fruition. Um, yes. Okay. So, I want to ask you about this, Brian. And when I ask this question, you don't have to bring in your, your personal experiences. Feel free to, if you want, but I don't, I don't want you to, to, to hear this question. Think I'm trying to get, you know, behind the scenes stuff from you. If you want to open up, you can, but um, Jim Moore, longtime Seattle sports columnist. Jim was on my show a few months ago. Nice guy. I really enjoyed him having my show and uh, we know each other kind of minimally. And Jim's column for some of my listeners who aren't aware of this is he's now at KGR and doing some writing other, at other uh, news, at some newspapers. He wrote very openly about his termination at 710 ESPN Seattle. And he was very critical of the way he was treated by a particular host and director and critical of the way this person also um, treated some other people. Um, I got a couple of questions for you about this Jim's column, which kind of went viral, didn't it? Um, mm -hmm. One, my mother has always said to me, Brian, if somebody disappoints you or let, lets you down, Paul, the best revenge is living well. M move on and living well is the best revenge. On the other hand, you know, I've had situations where I've been, you know, I've told people they were being jerks and I, and I've, so I, I kind of go back and forth on that. Do I, do I, do I just, eat it and living well is the best revenge or do you have or is it good to open up your feelings i, I want to get your take on what jim did um and uh i also want to get your take on is there any kind of general etiquette and how somebody should leave a a sports media gig so i love i'm just curious to get your take brian you know, Jim is, uh, I would consider him a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. We're both Cougs. Um, nice we, guy. He's a great guy. We, we message each other every so often to check in. Um, I love Jim. And, you know, he obviously felt some type of way about his departure from 710, and it was buried deep. And I think his article was cathartic for him mm -hmm. to get it mm -hmm. out in the open to um, talk about his displeasure and the way things went down from his perspective. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Jim is at the age where he is um, watching the sunset on his career and he'll, you know, he would agree with that. So what the heck, he doesn't have anything to lose. This isn't a 25 or 30 year old man. That's going to try to, continue his broadcasting career and now because of writing this article it could have burned every bridge in town that's not a concern of his so from his perspective i don't see anything wrong with what he did and obviously it didn't affect him because he's getting opportunities at kjr to do a little golf thing here and a little something there and they're kind of trying to fit him in and piecemeal him in there so as far as the general code of ethics when it comes to how you leave uh, a broadcasting job i think that that's probably the same code of ethics that you would use to leave any job right if you can do it the best way to do it is to leave gracefully no matter what the circumstances are um to whether it's your fault that you're leaving or whether they're the company's making a mistake um whatever it is if you leave gracefully then you've got nothing. You're not going to be looking over your shoulder. You're not going to be having to worry about comments. People aren't going to be talking about you behind your back because you left with class and dignity. So that's, I think, the best way to do it. And I and I understand. I thought Jim's column was very interesting. And I, I'm not 
critical of Jim at all. Um, and I've gone in my life, I, my life's not that interesting, but other people as well, when a disappointment has occurred or when you felt hurt by someone, I've gone back and forth. I've sweated up and moved away. And a couple of times I've gotten kind of confrontational. You know, I, I didn't like the way I was treated, you know? So I, yeah. I understand where Jim's coming from. Now, let me ask you a follow-up here. And I, I, I appreciate your perspective. Does Mike Salk, do you think he owes his listeners or others any kind of explanation on um, some pretty serious um, issues in the way he's treated some people, including Jim. Does Salk in any way owe any, I don't know if he's made any statement on this, but does Salk owe anything? Does he, does he, should Salk be um, issuing any kind of statement or anything? Um, well, I don't know Mike Salk. Uh, I've never had a conversation with the guy, but in general, I would say nobody owes anybody, any listeners, any explanation of why they hire or fire their employees. They don't. It's just that's their business. That's their decision. And they don't owe anybody anything except for when they do have somebody on the air that that person provides the best possible entertainment and content, uh, content and education that they can. That's what a radio station owes the listener. So. I will say this, sports radio is a very cheap business for the lower half of the employees, for the lower three quarters of the employees, and very lucrative for the top very small percentage. So it can be very cutthroat. It can be disheartening. You can be struggling financially for a long, long time while you're doing this job that you love, but your life outside of your job is miserable. And then you can find yourself in a position where your character is tested numerous ways. I bet. I, I was in that situation myself. And I found that when my character was tested, I failed miserably. But I learned a lot about myself in the process. You know, I was bitter about a lot of things. Uh, my dad was diagnosed with cancer and he right. was dying and I was uh, broke as a joke, like extremely broke, had to move in back with my parents, you know, when I was 42. So I understand the emotions and the feelings and the actions that some people take. But when it comes down to it, anybody can be good and say the right things and do the right things under under easy circumstances. It's moments like that where you find out who you are. And in my case with KJR, you know, I, I did some things that um, out of frustration that were not good, um, trying to, I don't know, get what was mine or, you know, bitterness towards things that I thought that I had earned, that I was told that I would get. But the bottom line is, that's on me, right? So I, I would say to anybody out there, yes, it's a tough business, but if you're not prepared to be uh, dignified and, and the person that you want to be throughout the entire process, don't even get into it because you're going to be in for a rough time at some point. It will happen in sports radio. I don't care who you are. It's going to happen. Well, Brian, I really appreciate hearing your perspectives on the more column and some other issues that go with it. And because you have some firsthand experience um, working in the field. So I, I, it was very interesting what you had to had to share. Uh, what, what is a memory that stands out at KGR? Can you think of kind of a fun memory, something that maybe an unexpected thing or something kind of fun that happened in your years there? Man, there were so many fun things. I mean, I really, really loved my time. Um, at KJR and um, just in broadcasting in general. I mean, literally every day was fun at work um, for me. Uh, I got to, you know, cover all the sports teams, go to all the sporting events and, and you know, be in the media and eat the free food at the events and meet all the, the athletes and interview the athletes and it just everything that any sports fan would dream of, I got to do. But my, the things that stand out to me are being able to cover the Seafair hydroplane races um, with Pat O'Day and the gas man on the call of the race and me and Ian Furness in the pits. 
I grew up a Seafair kid. My dad was a Seafair Commodore. He took me to the Seafair Hydros when I was a little, little, little dude. Um, so Seafair has been a huge event for me every summer since I was a kid. And then to now be a part of the radio broadcast with the legendary Pat O'Day um, and, and Gas Man and be able to interview these drivers and try to strategize what questions I was going to ask. And, you know, it that stands out as one of my fondest moments. Um, you know, being able to create something that's entertaining for people to me was extremely rewarding. I had an opportunity to create a few things at KJR that were ongoing um, bits, if you will, or shows um, that lasted for a long time that people still remember me for. And I created those. Captain Apker, right? And Ian Furness gave me that nickname. You did, yeah. And it came. So if we have time for a quick story, I'll, I'll tell no, you. No, no, I got time. Bro. Hey, I, I, I got 15, 20 more minutes, whatever, if you're up for it. you know. So okay, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I got some more time, yeah. So. so when I was young at KJR, Ian Furness was filling in. I think he was filling in the morning show possibly for Mitch. I'm not sure, but I was filling in in the traffic department for Tracy Taylor. And this was something that was completely new to me. I'm sitting in the traffic department. I've got screens in front of me. They're showing the traffic and I'm trying to deliver it. And Ian's like, hey man, don't even worry about delivering real traffic. Just do whatever you want. So I started like making fun of drivers out there and then saying I saw Softy pulling up to McDonald's drive through and you know I just I came up with something that was funny and creative and Ian's like dude we got to do that all the time and so that started the creation of something called Chopper 950 which was right. essentially a, a, a comedy sketch that I would write that would be about uh two minutes and every Friday I would do it and record it and pretend like I was up in the air doing the, the traffic in a helicopter. And that's something that a lot of people really love. Now, writing comedy is extremely hard. I don't know if you've ever tried to do it. Very but, hard. Uh, it's, Aware it's, of people who tried stand up and write, try to write comedy. It's very tough. And I consider myself a, a pretty funny person and I'm able to riff with people on the fly. But when it comes down to writing something and setting up a joke and it's difficult. So I didn't always like the material that I put out, but it was really well received. And the people that didn't like it really hated it, thought it was just terrible, disgusting and mean and mean spirited. And I get that for sure. So those are the memories that I have is, is those kind of collaborations with guys like Ian Furness. Um, you know, Dick Fain gave me a lot of opportunities to do stuff in high school sports and cover the Seattle Storm and do some some things with the Storm, which I, I really, really liked. And that was a lot of fun. Um, Neil Scott, who is called the Pros Pro, just spending time with him. I, I don't know if you've had him on your show. I've you him on? I met him. I liked him. On. I had a, some of the aforementioned guys you mentioned I had on, but I would like to get Neil on at some point. Listen, yeah. let me yeah. tell you, Neil yeah. Scott's probably going to be the most interesting person you have had on in your 97 plus episodes. I'm he writing it down done, as a reminder to get Neil Scott on. Thanks, Brian. You have to. Yeah. yeah. And let yeah. me know when you do, because I want to listen, because okay. this guy has no shortage of experience and stories and he's such a wealth of knowledge and he was a huge influence i, I was doing uh, co-hosting with him on his radio show called recovery coast to coast about addiction and recovery mm -hmm. before i ever worked at kjr i was doing some stringing for espn and fox and covering the seahawks and the mariners and that's how i met neil and neil's like hey man you want to you want to join me and do some co-hosting on this show and that's where i really learned a lot about broadcasting um the guy's phenomenal. So yeah, it, great, idea. great that, idea. That's those are the fun things that I remember is the relationships with with those particular people, and of course, Softy. Softy, uh, I got to co-host with him for a couple of years, and there wasn't a day that went by where Softy didn't make me and Kevin Shockey laugh so hard that we had tears coming out of our eyes. It was always during break, but there were days where we had a hard time gathering ourselves back together to come back on air. So that guy is so fun. He's a character, no doubt about it. Hey, you know, you mentioned Pat O'Day, who uh, I was honored to have as a guest uh, a couple of years ago. Let him rest in peace. Terrific guy. And, and what is your take, Brian? I love your Seafair um, stories. And I didn't see that coming. That's the fun thing about interviewing. I didn't see that 
seafarer memories would be among your favorite memories at KGR. I, I, I love your answer. I didn't see that answer coming. Uh, what's your take on, on seafarer kind of being eliminated? It doesn't seem like it's just a pandemic thing. It's just everything I'm reading. And I mean, I, we don't really have the same races going on. We don't have the, the airplanes going over us. Uh, give me your take on seafarer becoming, is it obsolete now? Help me out. I mean, I don't know. Well, you know, I don't know. And, and from what I can gather and what I've read, it seemed like Seafair was going to be coming back in 2022 and the Hydra races and the Blue Angels and everything else. Now, if there's so. been if there's been articles to the contrary, I, I will say this. Seafair has struggled over the last 20 years to be the draw that it was in the 70s and 80s when I was growing up as a kid. I mean, that log boom used to almost stretch almost all the way to I-90. It was so long. It was, I'm not it, too far at my, my less shy home. I'm right by I-90 right now. So I, I, you know, I, we grew up in the CL area together. I know it well. Seafair so too. you know, and, yeah. and, and, and the shores were always packed. In fact, on the shores, they used to have a raft log boom that would go along the shores and it would right. string all the way. And then they had to stop that because I guess it was dangerous. A couple of drivers spun out of control and, and flipped and, you know, almost um, had a situation with people in the rafts being too out too close to the course. So it struggled for a lot of reasons. And I, I don't know why. I don't know if it's because of the influx of people that have moved here for tech jobs that just don't feel the closeness to the boat races like when you grew up here and there was less activities to choose from um where this was the highlight of your summer the fourth of july and seafair those were the two and my birthday of course june, i always think june. of miss budweiser remember yeah, yeah. i mean yeah. squire yeah. shop atlas van lines miss right. budweiser those are the, the those are huge so um it I would hate to see it go away. You know, I would I would almost love to see them move the course. So I'm I'm here in downtown Kirkland. I live right across from the water. Love Kirkland. I would love to see it on the north end of 520 in the Kirkland area. Now I don't know what the depths are. I don't know what uh, the legalities and the logistics or any of that is. But I, I would maybe like to see them switch the the race course over on this side, see if that brings any new interest or involvement or a new way of viewing the races. Pat O'Day, when I had him on back in about late 2017, he thought that the powers that be were ruining the hydroplane races. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, Ian Furness and I, we had many chuckles and conversations about the people running the hydros themselves and the race uh, uh, officials where it seemed like, I mean, they didn't even know what they were doing half the time. So that doesn't surprise me that Pat O'Day would say that. And if he says that he was pretty deep in as far as knowledge goes, so I, I would take that as probably very, very true. Talk about a legitimate opinion on the hydroplane racing industry. Pat O'Day, I think, meets that standard, right, Brian? Pat, that standard, Pat right, O'Day Brian? meets yeah. that standard, yes. Yes, now, so here's, so if Pat and O'Day and I if I stated an opinion and Pat O'Day went, nah, 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 sorry, I'd say, you know what? Okay, because, yeah, I feel like I've got pretty good knowledge, but come on, Pat O'Day's been there since, <laughs> since the day one, practically. He was a heck of a guy. Uh, uh, on a personal, my late dad actually worked as his attorney one time, so I had a little, a little peripheral tie to him there, but he was a great guy. Um, hey, Brian, uh, Mariners are one game out of the wild card right now. It's kind of incredible on September 11th that they're really in the race. Um, Seattle community reaction. Is it too little enthusiasm, too much enthusiasm? Is the temperature check okay? Give me your take on the fact that Mariners are really legitimately in the race. And I want to know if you think that you know, how you measure the fan reaction right now. Yeah, you know, the fan reaction is going to be what it's going to be. Listen, when, when you've been disappointed and you have the longest non-playoff appearance streak in the Northern Hemisphere <laughs> of any sport, you know, you can't blame fans for reacting the way they do. Now, I will say this. I, I was on Facebook having a conversation with somebody who was bitching about the Mariners, and I'm like, listen, man, 
I get your frustration. I grew up with the Mariners in the 70s and 80s. They were garbage. And in the 90s, watching Toronto win the World Series when Toronto was the expansion team that came in at the same time as the Mariners. And then I watched this 116-win team do absolutely nothing in the playoffs. It's been brutal. But this year, this one particular year is not a year for bitching about the Mariners because they're doing everything they said they were going to do. They wanted to develop the farm system. They've got arguably the number one farm system in, in as far as the, the players' rankings go in all of baseball. They've brought up a lot of young guys, and we've watched them develop throughout the season. They've gotten better. They are a tough, gritty team that doesn't give up. Yes, they've got this weird uh, run differential um, that is not sustainable, but guess what? Like you said, they're one game out of the wild card race. It's time to get a little enthusiastic. Pe Fans don't want their heart broken again. I get it. I get it. You get you get excited, and then as soon as you do, I mean, as soon as you do, the Mariners have let you down for for decades, right? So people don't want to go through that. They want to be. They want this team to get to the playoffs before they actually start getting excited. Here's the plan that Depoto and service were doing right so they wanted to build up their minor league teams bring up these young guys get them all cohesive and then bring in some star players whether it's hitters or a pitcher or reliever and that's going to happen next year you watch in the offseason this mariner team is going to go out and get probably two maybe three top flight veteran players to solidify this roster to make a run at trying to get to the World Series. This year, this team was not expected to be in this kind of running, even for the wild card. So uh, they are exceeding expectations, in my opinion. I would love to see fans get more excited about this team, but they're just going to have to do it on their own accord. Where are you, Paul, as far as your excitement and enthusiasm about this team? Oh, I'm having fun with this. And I, I think the, the fact our run differential is so bad and they're, and they're like, what, 13 games over, one game out. I think it's fun. I, I, I'd like to see more fans get more pumped up about it. And I, I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports Untold on Rainier Avenue Radio, Radio on the 97th edition with Brian After, former KGR sports radio man. Brian, you got time for a few more questions? I'm having fun going overtime with you, by the way. I'm having a good I time. do, I do. Yeah. Fire, fire away. Yeah, good, good. We got, I'm just having a good time. I got a little time on Saturday morning here. I am just, too. Uh, we can get we can take this a little overtime. Um, hey, you're a WSU guy, Brian. And uh, I want to ask you about Rolovich. And I got a thought for you, but I, you know, feel free to to uh, comment on his um, situation. I don't know, and I'm totally speculating here. I don't know the details of his contract with WSU. But there's probably a misconduct clause in there, I would think. Um, do you think what's going on now is is a is a bit of a showdown? Because I think he has to like October 20th or so to comply with Inslee's mandate. It, it, I mean, is there just a time thing going on right now where if Rolovich does not get in compliance by that date, maybe he's out? Yeah, I don't know. I, I know I asked you a couple of questions within a question there, but yeah, give me but your I take on you. Rolovich. And, and is there something contractual going on behind the scenes right now, maybe? Um, let me start by saying I, I wasn't thrilled with the hire originally. Oh, you weren't? Interesting. No, no. Um, I felt like he didn't really do anything at Hawaii. Um, but that was my opinion. I mean, if you look at his record in Hawaii, I think, what what is he, one game over 500? I, I'll have to double check. But I just didn't. I just didn't like what I saw. I didn't think, you know, June Jones went to Hawaii and he resurrected that program and, and right. made it awesome. And then a few coaches after him kind of lost their footing. And then Rolovich came in and, and did better than the guys previous to him. But it wasn't what I was looking for after Mike Leach. And, and I wasn't a fan of particular things of Mike Leach either. But what I did like is I liked the fact that he had an exciting offense he had a big name. We were being talked about in the national media. I liked all that. What I didn't like is Leach never had his team prepared for the Apple Cup. He never had his team prepared for big games like the bowl games, like mentally, like fired up. He just didn't have them where they needed to be. And then he didn't have them where they needed to be against some of the, the lesser opponents too. So 
but he won. He got us to bowl games um, and he brought some excitement back to the program. So for that, I, I admire and thank him. Rolovich, not my kind of coach. And what he's doing now with the vaccine, you know, everybody, this is a free country. You make your own decisions. You do what you feel is best for you. But it's my opinion that when you are intertwined with students, student athletes, and other people where your decision can affect them, I believe you should make the decision for the greater good instead of just yourself. Now, I don't know what his reasoning is for not wanting to get vaccinated. I know there's non-vaxxers out there that believe certain things about the vaccines. I'm not one of them. I've never understood it, um, but it's not my place to understand it. People are making their own choices, and, and again, it's a free country. So from that standpoint, I think that when you're in a position that Rolovich is, you're making $3 million a year. I don't feel like you're entitled to make those same decisions that you would make for yourself outside of the scope of what your particular job is. I think you have to sacrifice when you're in a position that Rolovich is in. Now, to make matters worse, losing that opener against Utah State, in my opinion, was all on him. He called a terrible game. Um, and it wasn't as bad as Washington's loss against Montana, but though. You know? it, no, it wasn't. But it was a terrible game that they had, and they and I hate the term "cooged it," but that was vintage cooging it, and it was all on Rolovich. So, and now they got a cupcake, Portland State. Even if they blow Portland State out, it's like who cares? You're one and one against two crap teams. So. It's really hard for me to get excited, but I, I don't think there's – to answer your question directly, I don't think there's anything behind the scenes contractually because he can come out and say, listen, it's a religious thing for me. What yeah. are they going to do? Um, they, can't, they can't persecute him for that, and I don't know what you need to prove or disprove. Heck, you being uh, the attorney and the legal guy and probably dealing with semantics and, and things like that, I mean he could probably – say whatever he wants and it'd be very hard to disprove yeah I, I i certainly don't know the behind the scenes deals details of his contract but it's interesting how he gives a technical answer that he will follow the mandate and maybe he's hinting he's looking for uh, some sort of religious or physical you know health exemption and not to get too deep here but some religious exemptions fly a lot better than others and i and i Again, I don't have a ton of case law in front of me. I don't want to get too opinionated, but I think people who are claiming a religious exemption, who are getting the vaccine for polio or the measles, whatever, that's a tough legal argument, I think, in a lot of ways. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm just kind of wondering if maybe by mid-October, if, you know, if he's not in compliance with the governor's mandate, we'll have to see if something happens. So I don't know. There could be a little time frame thing going on there, but we'll, we'll see. We'll, well see. I think what the what a bigger issue is for him is the lawsuit that he is up against. And I don't know if you've had a, an opportunity to, to dive in and really take a look at that lawsuit, but things that I'm hearing behind the scenes, and again, this is hearsay, so um, it, it's basically speculation, but from what I've been hearing, Rolovich has asked players who, who either came in contact with COVID or had COVID to cover it up and to not tell anybody. And that's part of what's involved in this lawsuit. Pretty that, serious allegations, yeah. That right there, that can be, I'm sure, means for termination if that were to be proven. You brought up an excellent point, Brian, that he may end up possibly being in more trouble with that civil suit than his position on the vaccine. That is a very interesting perspective. Let me get two more questions in here. Paul Schneiderman again on Sports Untold on Rainier Avenue Radio, the 97th edition with Brian Apker. Uh, where are you on the Kraken? Are you, are you pumped up? Um, tell me, uh, I don't know if you're a hockey guy. I, I don't want to be presumptuous. A lot of guys of my era who grew up in Seattle don't know that much about hockey, but um, give me your take on this whole Kraken craze. No, I listen, I am pumped up and, and I'm, I'm ready and I've, not really a hockey guy. I mean, I enjoy watching the NHL from time to time, in particular during the playoffs. Um, been to a few T-Birds games, been to, you know, some hockey games in the old Key Arena or Seattle Center way back in the day. But, yeah, growing up here, 
this isn't a state where hockey was very prevalent. Yes, there were some clubs up north in Snohomish and um, just little places you could go to skate and play hockey, but there it wasn't a high school sport. It wasn't something I grew up playing. We didn't have a team here locally, so it really wasn't part of my culture or anyone's culture for the most part growing up in the 70s, 80s, and 90s here. So I'm excited because how often when you're 52 years old, do you get to dive into something that you really don't know much about and kind of go in blind and it's, it's brand new. It's a new experience for you. So I'm excited. I'm thrilled for the city. And I think it's certainly going to be a gateway to getting our Sonics back. I'm pumped up to it. It, it, it definitely can be a callous in the Sonics back with the, the key arena remodel. And I'm with you. I have a lot to learn about hockey. I, I want to try to get more informed on the opposing yeah. teams and the players and learn more of the stats. I mean, I have to learn some basic stuff about hockey, exactly. but I enjoy it, you know, so, but I'm with you. I think it's be a heck of a lot of fun. And um, I'm going in on a small pool and they're, they're not cheap, those tickets, but no, it's gonna be a- I, I believe NHL tickets are the most expensive of any of the the four now i guess five major sports um so from that standpoint that's a little bit of a bummer because you'd like to be able to introduce people to a new sport on the cheap but this is not on the cheap <laughs> could be fun though uh, let me get one more question with you brian and by the way i want to tell you something after this is a unique show this is the longest interview i've done so I want you to what? know that, Brian. Yes, yes. This is this has been fun. I just keep chatting away, and and uh, so this. But let me get one more question. And so you, I, uh, you uh, stand out and in, in being my my longest interview. So that's kind of cool. Um, well, hey, cool. I appreciate yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, it's fun. Um, I was on a twenty-seven minute clock for a while, but now I'm going beyond that. But here I'm going even beyond uh, doubling <laughs> that. But hey, um, I want to read some data to you. And this is a question about competitive balance in division one football. Um, just a second. Let me get this out back, back to sports illustrated. I got to put my reading glasses on, but real quick. Yeah, so so uh, I'm 51 now, so we, we can relate. I just started wearing reading glasses a couple of years ago. Yeah, so man, it's um, brutal. since 98, um, about, it looks like about six teams have combined to win like seven, like 74% of the titles, you know, Bama's in there, LSU. And I think since 2014, since the final four happened or was established, it's even worse. Let me see if I have some numbers for you on that. I don't want to spend too much time here, but um, yeah, let's see here. Um, College football's 14 playoff system is seven years old. And just four teams have failed 71%, the 28 available postseason bursts. So does the NCAA have a competitive balance issue right now with like, you know, Alabama in particular being Clemson and I don't know. Um, Give me your take on that general subject. Now, are we, are we talking just football? Are we talking all sports in general? or football and basketball what, what exactly are yeah, my we... question here is more about football but that's that's definitely a broader topic like women's basketball has been accused of lacking a competitive balance for many years but mm-hmm. but just with ncaa division one men's football um is this a problem that you know just maybe half a dozen teams or so are combining to win so many of the championships and stuff i don't know give me your take brian yeah, I. It might be. It might be a problem. Um, you know, I think every. I think there's a lot of people, including myself, that wanted to see the playoffs expanded to, you know, to to more teams. Not a whole bunch more, but but some more. Um, you know, with this name, image, and likeness situation now, where athletes are able to connect with an agent and start making deals on their name, image, and likeness, I think that that's really going to throw this competitive balance uh, out the window. If there is any competitive balance left, it's going to be gone because, are you kidding me? A guy like Nick Saban walks into a guy's house with his family, and he goes, listen, you're going to get a great education at Bama, but no matter what happens, because you're coming to Alabama, you're going to get a lot of money on this name image and likeness deal doesn't matter what you do 
because you got my name and you got Alabama's name, you're going to get a lot of money. And that's compelling for a kid, his family. It's it's huge. And I think that there's probably only a handful of colleges in the country that can that have that kind of power when it comes to recruiting. And they are already very strong recruiting. So I don't know. I I don't know that it's a problem yet because here I got college football on in front of me in the background and I'm watching Oregon uh, leading Ohio State 14 to 7 in the uh, just starting the third quarter. So I love college football. I, I, I watch it religiously. I get up at six in the morning and I watch college game day. So it hasn't detracted me. And if you have an allegiance to a college, either you went there or you're uh, you work there or family members or it's tradition, the competitive balance isn't going to keep you from watching and spending money on it. So I don't think it's a problem. Something else in this article, Brian, about kind of what you alluded to a minute ago, that the studies show that the teams that have the largest athletic department budgets tend to win more too. So that's another part, I would think, Brian, would you agree with the competitive balance issue? Sure, but you also have to think, and I don't know what the rules are anymore about alumni money and what can be used where, but look at Oregon. I wish Washington State had a Phil Knight kind of guy, right? I mean, Oregon's been able to rise through the ranks in the last 20 years with some of the most spectacular uniforms and and changing the uniforms all the time, and their facilities are world class and now they're getting notoriety and i mean they've they've been a good football program for a long long time they've abused washington for a long time now um i remember when oregon was terrible when they were the dregs of the conference you know i know it oh oregon just scored again just scored again just scored again i'll have to turn that game on in a few minutes well, Brian, what a lot of fun. I appreciate you doing this, uh, coming on Sports Untold on Rainier Avenue Radio. A lot of fun. I will let you go and enjoy the rest of your Saturday. And uh, fun to chat. And uh, let's you and I stay in touch for sure. Oh, li- listen, Paul, I, I had a, a lot of fun. And I'm sorry if some of my answers were a little long-winded, but I, I love these kind of conversations. I appreciate you thinking of me and remembering me. And, and uh, of course. I, you are doing a fantastic job. You've put this together on your own from, stretch, from scratch. I know you've got an assistant to help you with some of the technical things, but you're not doing this through a radio station or anybody else. This is you. You've built this thing. And, and you said this is the 97th edition? Well, I appreciate your kind words, Brian. Yeah, just 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 kind of a Pretty country good. lawyer with a little show doing this. But I appreciate your kind words. And uh yeah, um, it's been fun, and, and I, I love talking to all sorts of interesting people, yourself included. Thanks, Paul. Have a all great right. day. You too. We'll be in touch. Thanks, Brian.